Hello there, and welcome back. Thank you for joining me. This is episode 11 of Daniel Talks About Star Wars, the show where I do exactly as that name suggests. I'm the titular Daniel, and I thought I was done. <laughs> but they they pulled me back for one last job. <laughs> um, much like with my episodes on The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I've somehow managed to screw things up, and the audio for my episode, which was supposed to be on Solo, a Star Wars story, that's what we're talking about today, has somehow disappeared and is just... I don't even know. So, <laughs> I'm rather annoyed, and I'm literally recording this now on the day that it's supposed to be going out into the world, and so here I am again, and again, much like those other two episodes, I'm going to be doing this in the form of an audio commentary today for exactly the same reasons as last time. You know, I just don't want to have to try and recreate the episode that I sort of already did, because that would be rather tedious and disingenuous for me to do. It wouldn't feel quite right, so it'll be just easier for me that I have the film to sort of go along with, and I've still got my original notes. But yeah, that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah, I, Solo, a film that no one was really asking for, but this is our second and, at this point in time, final uh, spin-off film. It's certainly the last film that I think we will probably ever see with the A Star Wars Story subtitle. One benefit of having to record this now, on the 21st of December 2020, is the fact that we've recently had the Disney Investor Day talk thing, uh, where they announced a whole slew of new projects, and they actually announced that the next, what the next Star Wars film is going to be. I thought it was going to be Taika Waititi's film, uh, but it's actually a uh, a Rogue Squadron film directed by Patty Jenkins. So that's our next one. And that surely falls under the, you know, spin-off banner, if you will. So it's not going to be our last spin-off for long, but right now, yeah, solo. And it kind of killed it, I think, as well. I mean, there's a, a few factors, really, that kind of mean that we're not getting any more spin-offs for a few years. Because this one did underperform. But for some reason they were... This is the one that they kept at the May release date. Which... And obviously... May 2018. The Last Jedi had only just come out in December of 2017. So... And of course all the discourse surrounding that film... I'm sure probably tired people out. Uh, I know it exhausted me slightly. And then... A few months later we've got this Han Solo film. Which nobody is really that interested in. But it's kind of inevitable that we'd get a film like this but what are you gonna do you know gosh i'm sorry i feel like this intro has just been awful but i haven't recorded one of these in in weeks now i was done i'd, I'd mentally i'd mentally like checked out and yeah so I'm, I'm i feel quite unprepared to do this but you know what let's just get into the film let's start it because we're going to be here for a couple of hours so i'm hoping the sound quality of this is going to be a tad better than the two prequel episodes that I had to do because I've actually closed the windows today <laughs> which if you can believe it I just didn't do last time so hopefully there's going to be less sounds of the outdoors creeping in today but I can't promise anything I can still hear the cars quite clearly so we'll see and I'm gonna try my best not to just breathe 
into the microphone for two hours because it feels like that's what <laughs> the uh, other two ones are like. But let's just let's just do it. Um, I'm being lazy today and I'm just watching this on Disney Plus. So because of that, I've had a really hard time trying to get it on like zero hours, minutes and seconds. So currently I am two seconds in and I have two hours and 14 minutes and 59 seconds remaining. What I can see on the screen is kind of a half faded in Lucasfilm logo. And just to make sure you know exactly what you're supposed to be seeing, the there's a few sort of highlights on the logo, particularly under the A and the S and also above the F. So that's what you should be seeing on screen. What I'm going to do to sync us up is just count from three, and then when I say go, we'll all press play. How does that sound? Good? Alright, so Solo, a Star Wars story. We're two seconds in, so let's get ready. Three, two, one, go. So once again, much like Rogue One, a uh, tiny Lucasfilm logo and a tiny a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <sighs> so annoying. <laughs> so here's an interesting thing. Um, obviously this has a opening crawl of sorts, as we can see right now. I kind of wish they'd gone without it, or at least I wish Rogue One would have had one instead. Like, Either of that, like, I just wish there was some consistency between the two of them. Obviously, I know that they're not, like, related in any way, aside from the fact that, obviously, um, you know, they're spin-off films and they're part of the Star Wars universe. But I just wish there was a level of consistency between them, so... They clearly wanted to have some kind of opening crawl for this one. I wish they'd have just done the same for Rogue One. I do like that opening though, there's a quick, that quick, there's a, oh god, I can't speak. <laughs> there's quick cuts that we just had when Han was could jacking that thing. I really like how Corellia looks here as well at this time of day, the whole nighttime aesthetic. Looks a lot nicer to when it's all just kind of grey later. But yeah, there's our man. Han Solo, played here by Alden Ehrenreich. And I gotta say, I really enjoy his performance in this film. Um, I know a lot of people would... Well, they don't like him because he's not Harrison Ford, basically, and he's not doing a Harrison Ford impression. I'm glad they didn't go with that and he just gets to kind of do his own thing. But I still think he's really close enough like, the way he moves and, like, the kind of physicality and just the the body language he brings to it is very Harrison Ford. And I think that goes a long way to kind of, you know, it makes you feel like that they are the same character, but this is not Harrison Ford. I find this whole sort of thing with them sort of being under Lady Proxima very strange. Just the whole, like, Oliver Twist aesthetic <laughs> that we kind of breezed past a second ago with all those kids being all like, ah, you know, oh, 
please, sir, can I have some more? And it's like, and then there's just like Han and Kira, who are these incredibly like sexy people. Like they don't look like they are part of the same crew as those little orphan children. And we can hear um, Han and Kira's kind of love theme there, which I really like. John Powell does the music for this film, uh, who I'm not really overly familiar with his work, to be honest. I know that he did the How to Train Your Dragon films, but yeah, I but I, I really like his work on this film. There's a lot of tracks in here. It's not my favourite soundtrack by a long shot, you know. But there's a few select tracks that I'm just like, that is amazing. And some of my favourite Star Wars music comes from this film. I hate all this blue. Like, it's very ugly to me. But I like Lady Proxima. This is very Star Wars to me. Just like, she's a giant worm centipede thing <laughs> it's very silly but i like it On earlier, of course, and we just saw that Kira had it, um, the kind of MacGuffin of this film, or sort of one of the MacGuffin in a different form, <laughs> um, the coaxium, which is the hyperspace fuel, which we learned about in the opening crawl as well. That's not what he said. I love this guy. I don't know what his name is, like Malak or Moloch or something, but that was badass. <laughs> the way he just was like, not if I shoot you. I love that guy. There's a bit later on as well where some stormtroopers come up to him and he just like very casually puts his like staff thing against them and it's just like, shut up. <laughs> it's pretty cool. This joke here doesn't really work for me. It's a bit much. Almost feels like a bit of a holdover from what we kind of heard from... Um, that was cool as well. I love the way that kind of closes around him. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, from what we heard when Phil Lord and Chris Miller were originally doing this, um, which they were. So this was a film that was probably, I think, the most affected by the whole, uh, you know, Disney just can't get along with the directors that they choose for these Star Wars films. Like, I'm sure that they reshot 80% of this film. And because of that, it's like the most expensive Star Wars film and it's yeah I, and I think the whole problem with Lord and Miller is that they were maybe trying to 
well, I think they were trying to be too funny, basically, with it, and I don't think they uh, necessarily saw eye to eye about that with the uh, powers that be, and with Kathleen Kennedy. And I think even there was, I'm not sure if this was ever true, but there was definitely a report that Alden Ehrenreich himself was... Like, I am not comfortable with having to do, like, this much, like, improv and stuff. Like, that's not how I'm trained as an actor. So I think he himself had problems, and that's why eventually Ron Howard was brought on board to direct, who is definitely a bit more workmanlike in his approach to this film. You know, there's... Nothing in terms of the filmmaking really stands out in this film. Like, it is just very kind of standard. And I don't think it's necessarily bad, but uh, you can... It's almost quite bland in the way it's presented and made and... Yeah. But reshooting 80% of it, that's... Just insane. And here we have Unnecessary Stormtrooper Design number one, the Patrol Trooper. He's a Stormtrooper, but he's a policeman as well, so he's got, like, bits of black on him. Did I even mention the dice in my last Jedi episode? I'm not sure if I did. But definitely, because there was a very small amount of emphasis kind of placed on them in that film. And it definitely felt like the only reason for that was to kind of build up to this. But even then, they're not really that important in this film. It's literally just a visual thing. Like you just, the camera just rests on them sometimes for a bit. On their Han Han Solo's lucky dice. And it's like, that's it. But they don't really seem that important to him. Like, they're not even... Like, in Legends, it was always that um, he won the Falcon with them, but they've just changed that here. And that was even... I remember, because I watched the um, the Director and the Jedi, which is the behind-the-scenes documentary for The Last Jedi recently. And one of the, like, the... What, I think he was part of the props department. You know, one of the crew on there... Um, was saying, like, oh yeah, and here's Han Solo's lucky dice that he won the Millennium Falcon with. So even people that were part of the team on the film previous to this thought that. And yet they've, for some reason, changed it here. Um, Yeah, interesting. I don't know why they did that, because it it does make the dice, like, even less important, really. They're kind of just something that he has. That part, I love that part. Malak, whatever his name is, is cool. Crimson Dawn, I'm sure that won't happen. No, it doesn't work, though, does it? 
I like Amelia Clark a lot as a person and as an actress, I suppose. The only real thing I've seen her in is Game of Thrones. And maybe something else. Me Before You. <laughs> Where she's very uh, enjoyable to watch in that. And she's very good in Game of Thrones as well. Kira as a character, I'm like, just kind of so-so on. Although I feel like she does become more interesting at the end. When we get to that. But I'm happy that Amelia Clark is here anyway. And that she gets to be part of this universe. Also continuing the trend of this Disney era. That they seem to have an obsession with brunette British ladies. We had... Daisy Ridley, then we got Felicity Jones, now we've got Amelia Clark. to say, I'm not actually a fan of the whole using the Imperial March in Major Key <laughs> and kind of making it part of the universe for, uh, you know, like Imperial propaganda. It kind of does take me out of it. So here we have a scene that I rolled my eyes at the first time I watched this. And I still would prefer it to just sort of not exist, to be honest. Like, why can't his name just be Han Solo? Like, not everything needs to have a reason for being. But I've kind of come around to it literally just because of how the way, like, this Imperial guy plays it. I feel like he knows it's a dumb moment. <laughs> like, I like the way he delivers the moment. That's a pretty cool edit. I like that. <coughs> I do apologise. I just coughed into the microphone. So here we have some mud troopers, which feels slightly less egregious because at least it makes sense. I'm just kind of realising though that Han Solo does seem very incompetent as like a ground trooper, so it's very surprising that he's lasted this long. 
And here we have Woody Harrelson as Tobias Beckett. Who I think is really good in this film. I mean, Woody Harrelson's always good, but I also like his character here. He does have, actually, a surprising bit of depth. We've got his pals Val and Rio, played by Pandy Newton and John Favreau, respectively, who I'm less a fan of. Like either of them, I don't, I don't really like them, so I'm kind of <laughs> glad that they die later. I wonder if there's a deleted scene here, or if it was always just gonna end there. Feels like would have been something cool to see. That's a terrible line. I think it's my dream Star Wars role. Like, if I could have a minor role in Star Wars, I would absolutely kill to be like a snobby Imperial. It's always annoyed me how he says flyer. Like pilot.
It's very, um, Ray. Just the way he's like, you know, I've got to go back home to this terrible place. And everybody's like, why do you want to go back there? The Beast? I wonder who that could be. Kind of annoys me as well. Feels a bit cheap. That that doesn't really sound like Chewbacca. Even though I I think I've heard somewhere that they did like use, like they did derive these sounds from, you know, actual Chewbacca noises. But it still doesn't really sound like him. So it feels a little bit deceitful for a reveal that we sort of all know is coming anyway. I think this is probably Chewie's best movie. You know, obviously he is always just off to the side in the other films, but here, like, it feels like he does truly have a supporting role. And he gets his own theme in this one. John, John Powell gave him his own theme, which I do really like and is used to great effect a bit later on. This again also feels like a Maybe something that came about when uh, Lord and Miller were doing it. Just feels a bit silly. Because it doesn't even sound like he's <laughs> speaking like Shiriwook. Like you'd expect it more to sound like just a Chewbacca impression, but he's literally just going like, oh! <laughs> I love how aggressive Chewbacca here is here. Because, like, he's literally been down there for ages and Han's been in there for five minutes. And Chewie's just like, nope.
I think Ardinians are a new species for this. I'm not sure how I feel about the design. I don't think I really like them. A Wookie? I do like that. One thing that I've always quite liked about Star Wars is the way how George Lucas and Mark Hamill tells this story quite a lot. Like when they were doing A New Hope and people were like, is it Han? Is it Han? Is it Alderaan? Or is it like Alderaan? Is it Leia? Is it Leia? And George Lucas would always just be like, it's regional. Just like whatever you feel. And I kind of like that. So then you can just have people say like Wookie. And it's like, well, he's from Ardinia. That's how they say it. Even though we all just say Wookie. I like that shot there, like, kind of going up to reveal that there's a lot more fighting going on on Mimban. That looks nice. Chew is looking fresh. I don't like this bit. I like this bit less than the Han Solo name thing. The way it's just like, what, a three-syllable name? I don't think so. And it's like, yes, now we have an, an origin story for Chewie's nickname. One thing that I will say about this film is that it had a surprising kind of structure. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, obviously, but the the trailers always gave me the impression that this was going to, you know, be part of the climax of the film. So the fact that we're doing this whole train heist so early on, it's quite interesting. Bosk shout out. I really don't like it when films do that, when, you know, a considerable amount of time <laughs> has passed, and yet they were having that same conversation. Like, what am I supposed to think? Are they Were they having that conversation for about six hours?
God, I'm going to be happy when Rio dies. The way that Beckett says that makes that sound like that's going to be some kind of theme throughout the film. But it's not really important. Chewie's new look. I love the fact that he gets to wear a different... Well, it's not really an outfit, is it? A bandolier in this one. And I think it's his best look. I don't mind that moment so much as well. I know that's something that people do kind of complain about, the Howie, you know, it needs to be a moment where Han gets the DL-44. But I don't know. I, I don't think there was a massive deal made out of that just then. I kind of like the way Beckett breaks it down from a rifle for some reason and then just tosses it to him. Like, it's it's not a big deal. I think that's a good way to do it. This is the uh, skin I have on for Chewbacca in Battlefront 2. And it's also the only Chewbacca Funko Pop I have as well, so I really dig this look. <laughs> I love the way he delivers that line. Okay, here we have trooper design number three. The range troopers. Which is just like... That's got to be up there with the Executioner Troopers in terms of just why. But who knows? Maybe if I was making a Star Wars film, I would also, just be like, make a new trooper for this. <laughs> I 
So here we have Enfus Nest. This is a character that I see people say that they kind of are hoping comes back in some way or another. Personally, not that bothered either way, but I'm glad that she made an impression. Spoilers, I guess, by the way, that it's a she. <coughs> I do apologise. You can't blame me too much. I did have COVID-19 quite recently, so... That's my excuse. Are there vital organs in an Ardinian shoulder or something? Like, why does this kill him? Hasn't really done anything that impressive. Oh no, Rio!
It's pretty crazy how willing she is to just immediately be like, I gotta kill myself. But in that way, that just kind of goes to show how that's such a classic example of fridging. <laughs> Surely the ship would be able to pull it, even if there are a few swoop bikes attached, it would be way stronger. This is a cool effect though. Feels like that's something he could have mentioned before. This is such a random thought, but it's pretty crazy to me that, like, well, not crazy, I'm probably overstating it a little bit, but, like, quite, uh, you know, we got our first mention of Dryden Voss there, but if I were writing a Star Wars film, I'd be like, oh no, I can't call the character Dryden Voss, because Quinlan Voss already exists. But perhaps I am just shackled by my own fandom. I do like this, that Beckett gives Han an out. Like, he kind of does have a good heart, but he's kind of corrupted by his own greed. But you can see that he kind of is a good man at heart. Like, he's like, you don't need to come with me. But it's just like, nah, I'll do it anyway. <laughs>
Now, until quite recently, there were a few tracks that I liked from this film missing from the from the released score. But recently they they released an expanded edition that has I'm sure it's it's all the music. And I'm so glad that it does because I absolutely adore this music right here. Oh, as they're approaching Dryden's yacht, which I love the design of. I like that it's just so vertical. <laughs> but yeah, just that little kind of sting there. I really like it. It reminds me of like old James Bond almost. I think here is a good place to talk about uh, this. So, <laughs> that lady there and that singing head is probably a good uh, example of what I'm talking I think the production design and, like, well, the production design in particular, I think, is fantastic, fantastic like, across the board throughout all these Disney films, but I think where some of the design choices falter is the creature designs. Like, it's very hit and miss. Um, I think throughout the films, like, and I can't really articulate it very well, I feel like something... You'll look at something and you kind of just... It's an instant thing where you're like, that either is Star Wars-y looking, or it isn't. You know? And I'm sure it varies from person to person. Like, my idea of something looking Star Wars-y will be different from someone else's. But I think because they strive so much to ha literally have what feels like every background extra be like a new and different alien, there is more room for things looking slightly more Doctor Who, or you know, than necessarily Star Wars. But it reminds me of my good friend Sam, who, he has a very complicated relationship with Star Wars, but one thing that he annoys, he gets annoyed about, sorry, is the fact that there never seems to be any recurring aliens anymore. Um, which I can sort of see, like, you know, just every now and then, you just want a, like a Rodian in the background or, or an Ithorian, you know? Just something. But the fact that they literally... Every background character needs to be something new. It does leave more room for it to be like, well, does that really look like Star Wars? And again, everyone will have their own opinion on that. But I think, you know, it's pushing it when you've got like a floating head <laughs> in a tank. <laughs> But then again, it could also be that, you know, these films are new. You know, I've had years and years to get used to the other films and the designs of those films. So maybe in years to come, it'll just be like, oh, yeah, the floating head that sings. That's classic Star Wars. But yes, here we have the return of Kira. We were also introduced to Dryden Voss earlier, uh, played by Paul Bettany. 
who I really adore in this film. I think he's probably the standout character for me. I like Dryden Voss a lot. I kind of wish he was in it more, but yeah, I, I think Paul Bettany's just having a crazy fun time playing that psycho. So yeah, I hate his like little daggers though that light up. It feels like such a deliberate kind of, we need something that reminds people of lightsabers. <laughs> That was smooth. Poor Chewie. <laughs> I don't think they're talking about the deal. I don't like that. Or at least, I don't mind the setup for what she said there, but the payoff is so... The way she was like, oh, it always made me so... Like, and then, like, you know, that pause, and it's like, later, the word she was trying to think of was smile, and it's like, are you kidding me? You had to think about that? One thing that I cannot stand about Dryden Voss, though, and I don't even mind the concept behind them but the execution of the way his face kind of lights up when he gets annoyed or angry or just overly emotional I don't hate the idea but the fact that it just looks like he's got like kind of crappy looking scars on him they just don't look good I think it feels a bit lazy that's a good one Dryden Another aspect that I think they of the production that I really think they nail throughout the films is costumes as well. All the costumes in this are great. I love Dryden's look. I love Beckett's coat. I love Han's jacket. That's probably one of my favourite Han Solo looks. But I don't think that looks good. The you know the way his face is getting redder. I feel like they could have gone for something a bit more interesting.
castle. We finally get to see that after it's literally being one of the first things that are ever <laughs> like mentioned in Star Wars. C-3PO talks about the spice mines of Kessel in A New Hope at the beginning, so it's pretty crazy that it took 40 plus years to actually realise it on screen. In live action, at least, it has been depicted in various other media. But I really dig the look of Kessel when we go there later, and... It's one of the more interesting maps on Battlefront 2, I think, as well. I genuinely think Paul Bettany's great in this film. He's such a highlight for me. Would have been interesting to see how his character would have been different with, uh, God, what's the actor's name? Is it Michael K. Williams? Was originally supposed to be playing the role when Lord and Miller were on. But he was unavailable for reshoots, so Ron Howard got his pal Paul and... Another example of the hours-long conversations. So, of course, here we are about to be introduced to Lando, who, as we all know, is one of my favourite characters, uh, one of my favourite Star Wars characters. So, uh... And before this film came out, despite not really having ever seen Donald Glover in anything myself... I felt like I knew enough about him and was aware enough about him that when his casting was announced, I was like so excited. You know, I thought it was perfect, but I'm real I really don't like his performance in this film. It feels a lot less like a natural performance and more of an impression, but it's not even really a good impression. Like he does this strange accent that Billy D Williams just never had like at certain points throughout the film. But then other times I think he's okay when he kind of does let that... Like, that delivery there was pretty good. That didn't sound any... That just kind of sounded like Donald Glover, I think. But 
yeah, very inconsistent, very strange performance, I feel, and it was a big letdown for me, unfortunately. Be interesting to see what he does in the future, though. I assume it'll be Donald Glover as part of the Lando series that is coming, which was also recently announced. Also, just think seeing Donna Glover in this, you know, kind of try and be Lando is just such a great reminder of just how naturally the character came to Billy D. Williams. Like, he really means it when he says that he just is Lando. Like, he says that a lot in interviews and things. And, you know, seeing someone else try and sort of capture the character, it just goes a long way to, yeah, proving Billy D.'s point that he just is Lando. I apologise if there's about to be some noise and some rattling, but I just need to adjust my position. That's better. A bit more comfortable. It's a shame that that's ultimately quite a pointless scene, considering what happens in a minute when Lando does join the crew.
got an Aura Singh name drop there as well. It's a shame that we're learning that she's dead, but a shout-out is a shout-out. So here we have L3, L337, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is an actress and a writer that I adore, absolutely love her. I've not seen Killing Eve, actually, but Fleabag is incredible, so I'm very glad that she gets to be a part of Star Wars. And I think L3 just looks incredible, like the effects on her are fantastic. Like, I thought K2 looked really good in Rogue One, but they seem to have stepped it up even more here. I think because there are some more real elements on L3. Like, I think parts like maybe the body and whatnot are actually there, like part of a costume. So then they just CGI'd, obviously, other bits. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what it is. So I think maybe that's why she seems more realistic maybe but yeah obviously people have a big issue with l3 because obviously she's pushing some kind of sjw agenda which of course people don't like she wants equal rights for droids which i mean it shouldn't surprise me but at the same time i just can't believe people take issue with that like it's not even a real cause <laughs> you know like this is not real So what, what agenda is she pushing that for people to be upset with? This is such an awkwardly framed moment. I remember that shot from the trailer of Lando. That was... That was a really cool shot. I do like how the Falcon looks in this. So clean, so pristine. <laughs> and then Han absolutely wrecks it. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, what is that? He's almost doing like an almost kind of British-ish accent. It's like, you have experience with these things, right? Do not understand that choice. What's Lando's full name? Landonis Balthazar Calrissian, I'm pretty sure, which is... 
not necessary at all, but that's fun. Oh no! Like, even the inside is so much cleaner than when Han has it. Like, it's so white, and then in about ten years we get to A New Hope, and it's just so dirty on the inside. I do like that little bit of backstory about Han's dad, but at the same time it is strange, because he's like... I don't have any people, but he's talking about his dad, so, like, he does have a last name that he must be aware of, but he's just choosing not to use it. That was the same noise as, I want to say, The Empire Strikes Back, when Han is whacking the Falcon when it won't take off or something. I'm sure that was. That's a nice touch. Which makes a lot of sense with what happens later with L3 when she gets uploaded. not sure if I like the uh, the idea that this film introduced that like drawing so much attention to the amount of capes Lando has lots of people in Star Wars wear capes I don't know why suddenly it's a weird thing for Lando to have capes I love the way he just takes that and drops it. That's a George Lucas touch right there. That was George Lucas's idea for him to just take it and drop it. Good old George.
that's also quite a scary thing about anybody making a Star Wars anything because it's happened on the Mandalorian as well that if you are making a Star Wars live action thing George Lucas will come and visit you at some point This shot right here, I hate, because I hate the fret. Like, why am I being forced to look at that, whatever that thing was, just then? Like, why was that the focus of the frame? Whatever that contraption was. Like, again, like, what? That's not a well-framed shot. I suppose it doesn't help also that characters respond in this film to L3 like that. Like, Lando is not on board with her having equal rights, so if he's, like, rolling her eyes at her, then it just gives more fuel for people that are like, no, that's SJW propaganda to, you know, complain about it. Oh, I wonder if L3 will be in the Lando series then, if it's... Well, we don't even know if it's going to be Donald Glover, or... Be... I mean, I would assume that it would be. But the only image they showed, apart from the logo, when they were talking about this, was an image of the Falcon, and... You know, it was the same design as what we see here, so I assume it would be a prequel to this. Which means, hopefully, L3 will be in it, and I hope that she would be just to annoy people, if nothing else. So, here's Kessel.
I like the design of the pike dude just then. I don't actually know what the pikes look like underneath. I think they're kind of bug-looking people, but I can't picture them in my head. But I like whatever's whatever he's wearing here. <laughs> That's quite funny. find it interesting that Lando obviously had that outfit that Beckett is wearing in the Falcon already, because it's the same one that he's got in Return of the Jedi when he's undercover at Jabba's Palace. I always assumed the implication was that he got it from Jabba's Palace, but I guess not. This is such a nitpick, and I'm not even really sure if it bothers me that much, but should L3 be able to translate? Like, is that what her function is as a droid? She's a good navigator, she's a good pilot, she also translates. But whatever, uh, that, that's a nitpick. <laughs> I remember when I watched this with my mom, which was quite recent, and she was annoyed at all the nice dresses and outfits that Kira gets to wear, and she was comparing it to Rain. It's like, why does she get all these lovely outfits and Ray just has to wear rags?
know what? I like L3. I do enjoy this whole revolution that takes place. That just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Not entirely sure why. It's nice to see Chewie throw down a bit, though. That Wookiee does not look like a Wookiee. I feel like it's always really weird when we see different looking Wookiees. I think just because we're all so used to Chewbacca. And they are kind of a rare sight throughout the rest of Star Wars, that whenever we see one that is different, it's like, well, that doesn't look exactly like Chewbacca, so that doesn't look like a Wookiee. But I guess, I don't know, Chewie just looks like Chewie. Is that the one and only nut shot? <laughs> In all of Star Wars? I'd love the idea, which I've I've heard other people sort of come up with, so this isn't my original thought, but if the Lando show was almost something akin to what Lando is doing there, like maybe have Billy D kind of narrate and then have Lando go on these crazy adventures.
That's Chewie's theme. Oh my god. There's Anthony Daniels in a rare sight outside the uh, C-3PO costume. Which does mean that, because it always used to be that C-3PO and R2-D2 were in every Star Wars film, and while it can't be said now that C-3PO has been in every Star Wars film, Anthony Daniels certainly has. That's cool. I like that. And that's such a... That must have been intentional. And I hope I'm not just reading way too much into that. But the way that Alden was kind of stood posed then as he was, like, shooting with the blaster, it, lo it looked just like those old, like, promo images of Harrison Ford. Like, back... Like, that must have... That's got to be intentional. No. That was such an unnecessary slide. I feel like this could be an emotional moment, but it's almost played... I'm not sure if it's intentionally played for laughs. But it is quite funny the way he just pulls her apart then and he's just like falling over. I do like this moment, though, the way it kind of... Because the whole thing in Legends always used to be the fact that Chewie had a life debt, so he just owed Han, and that's why he always stayed with him. And that was always a joke as well after The Force Awakens came out, and obviously Han Solo was dead, and people were like, well, now Chewie can be free because he doesn't have his life debt anymore. Um, I'm glad that they have changed that here, that Chewie kind of sees Han, you know, he sees Han's character and his heart and he makes the decision for himself that it's like, you know what, I'm going to stick with this guy. That's cool, I like that. How does he know how to fly this without having ever flown one before? He's such a Mary Sue. See what I did there? 
<laughs> I did like that shot. It was just like, I could have been your co-pilot. This is probably my favourite Lando stuff out of the whole film. Like, the way that Donald Glover's kind of dropped the whole... You know, he's just playing it as an actual character now, who is, like, grieving rather than doing a weird accent and impression. So it's here when I first watched this, especially when Beckett goes and gets to manning the gun, that I was starting to feel like Falcon and like nostalgia fatigue. Because if you think back, we had The Force Awakens, where we had that whole scene on Jakku towards sort of the beginning of the film, with Rey flying the Falcon and... Uh, you know, Finn manning the gun, and it was kind of a nostalgic, like, look, it's the Falcon again moment. And, you know, it's a decent action scene. Um, And then we had The Last Jedi. There's that whole bit on Crate where they're flying through the um, sort of the cavernous parts of the planet, and it's quite reminiscent of the Falcon flying through the Death Star 2. Um, in Return of the Jedi. And we had the exact same music that's playing now from A New Hope, the kind of like dun 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 like um and it's just like and I don't blame any of the creatives, you know, they are making separate things, I'm sure you know, they didn't know what the other others were doing. Um, you know, but the fact that we have it again, you know, in The Last Jedi we had Chewie flying and Rey was manning the gun and now we've got Han flying again and Beckett's manning the gun and it's like, look the Falcon, but it's like, you can't keep doing it. This is the third time in a three year period that it's like, look the Falcon, doesn't this remind you of A New Hope? And it's like, yeah, you know, there's only so much nostalgia I can <laughs> I can deal with before it just gets tiresome. I will say though, before the film came out, they released this clip online. And I don't know what it is about it. I mean, I love Chewie's theme here again. Um, I liked hearing the Asteroid Field music from Empire just before this. And Chewie kind of just taking the co-pilot seat. And the music again, just... I. It made me very giddy when I watched this online for the first time. I was like, oh my goodness, like it was really magical. It doesn't give me quite that same feeling now, but yeah, the first time I saw that online, that brief clip, yeah, really, really got to me.
It's nice to hear the asteroid field music again as well. I don't know why that is a piece of music that stayed solely attached to one scene in one film 40 years ago, but glad to hear it again. So yeah, this is something that people have often pointed to, and it is a strange thing the way that a character like L3, obviously, so vocally about, you know, rights and sort of being independent from what she was intended for, and, you know, sort of championing that for other droids, and then she just gets plugged into the Falcon, and it's like, oh, I don't know what the writers are necessarily trying to say with that. It's almost like, I don't know, kind of telling her to shut up. I hope that wasn't the intention behind it. I, I just hope the intention behind the L3 character was not for us as the audience to kind of laugh at her and like roll our eyes at her. It's not Star Wars without a kind of unnecessary monster at some point, is it? I'm not entirely sure what that achieved. Is the monster now getting sucked in just because it went too close because it was chasing after the escape pod? Or did swallowing the escape pod do something? I'm not entirely sure what happened there.
a lot of people were saying as well when this film came out. And I think we knew that Billy Dee Williams was part of the cast for episode nine by the time this film came out. Um, but that it would have been nice for some kind of nod to L3 in that film, in the next film. Which, unfortunately, we never got. Jesus, its skin is getting ripped off. Did you see that? God. Oh my God, that's actually quite horrifying. How many times does that satellite dish get ripped off? Can't believe Lando was about to swear in my Star Wars. This is clearly a very different scenario, though. say this fear this film does feel quite breezy like i'm surprised that we're already here i think i'll mention here as well that i kind of one thing i don't like about this film is that it like it does seemingly everything Han Solo has ever done, <laughs> like, in the one film, in the span of, like, this one day. You know, we've met Chewie, we've met Lando, we've just done the Kessel Run. Uh, he's destroyed the Falcon to the extent that it now looks as it does when Han eventually owns it. Later on, Han is gonna get the Falcon from Lando. Like, I don't feel like all of these things needed to happen, because it just makes... It makes everything feel so much smaller. And it, I also get the impression as well that... From this film, which I hope isn't the case, and I hope it gets fleshed out... Potentially in the Lando show, but, you know, also in any books, any comics. Um, and perhaps I've already, already been proven wrong... In some other media that I've not yet consumed... Um, but it almost feels as well, the way this film ends, that this is like the one and only time Han and Lando ever met. And like the next time they see each other is The Empire Strikes Back. But I, I could be wrong. But like, you know, I just get that feeling from this film because of everything that it sets out to do.
And here, they're not, they haven't brought it up quite yet, but I'm going to start talking about it anyway. This scene is the one reason that I'm quite happy. You know, whatever my feelings are about the rest of this film, the sole reason for this film, in my opinion, and one thing that it just, just does so well, and, like, the sole reason that I'm happy for this film to exist is how Han Solo's character, as presented, and almost kind of retconned, in a way, in this film, informs the sequel trilogy and informs the character of his son, Kylo Ren. It's it's like the same sort of characterization, but obviously just on a much smaller scale. So the whole thing... Uh, particularly in The Last Jedi when Snoke says to Kylo Ren, like, you have too much of your father's heart. And then in this film, we see it. Like, Kylo Ren is a guy that so desperately is trying to be something that he's not. You know, he's trying to be this big, bag, big bad, evil, Darth Vader-type character. And that's just not who he is in his heart. And it's like the same thing here. Like, Han Solo, he's desperately trying to be the, kind of this outlaw-type but that's not who he is, and he's like, I'm the bad guy, and Kira's like, you're not, and it's like the exact, I like, I love that kind of mirroring of the two characters, and I think it's it's so well conveyed, and I love the way that this this film does inform the sequel trilogy, kind of like that. And I almost don't mind the way it kind of retcons A New Hope, um, you know, because obviously the, the idea that that film gives us is that Han Solo is kind of this roguish not so great guy but then he redeems himself at the end but it's actually no he's always been a good guy but he just like i say he was just trying so hard not to be and here we have infus nest they've caught up Oh my god, it's a woman. And also someone I went to school with. <laughs> no, that's not entirely true. She did go... So, this is Erin Kellyman, uh, an actress from the same town as me. And she was in the year above me at high school. Um, I didn't I didn't know her. I don't know her. Um, I, <laughs> I once served her when I used to work at the cinema here in our town, but I've never 
I don't know her. I don't want <laughs> just before I say anything else, because um, I don't want to sound like that I'm trying to spread lies. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. But I couldn't, for the life of me, work out when I first watched this. I was like, I'm sure I know who that is. And then, like, one day, it just it did just click, and I was like, oh my god. I used to walk past her, like, every day. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. And she's doing well for herself. She's going to be in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. She's going to be in Willow. She seems to very much have endeared herself to Disney and to Lucasfilm. So, yeah. She'll be the pride of the town. This is an odd moment, though. I'm, uh... I'm not sure why it's being treated like a big reveal that the big criminal organisation bad. Warwick Davis there. Interestingly, playing the same character that he played in The Phantom Menace, which was literally just that of a spectator at the pod race. <laughs> so that's a random detail. Sam, you should be happy, though. There's a Rodian back there. That's an alien we know. <laughs> also, I didn't see him there, but Two Tubes is here as well from Rogue One, who I'm not sure I even talked about in my episode on that film, but he's a pretty cool side character. He's part of Saw Gerrera's gang, and it's interesting to see him here. No, he thinks they're partners. One thing that I kind of appreciate about a character like Beckett, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into things or maybe giving too much credit to the writers, but I genuinely think it is the intention behind his character and it is well communicated, I think, in the performance and in the writing that he sort of does things that contradict... Uh, you know, things that he says, and but he never sort of betrays his own character. I guess what I'm trying to say is that he, he's not a deceitful character, I don't think. Well, obviously he is to a certain extent, because <laughs> we'll see later. But I don't, like, I do think that he cares about Han, and 
stuff like that, and I think he wants him to hopefully get out of this alive, but obviously he does double-cross him in a bit. Um, but I just think it's, it's all part of his character, and I, I, I do think he uh, has a decent layer of uh, complexity and a decent amount of depth. I love it when he does that. Like he did it earlier as well to Beckett when he was talking about Val and like Rhea. <laughs> like just the just the way like he clearly doesn't care, but he's so much acting like he does. I want to know how he's gonna eat that runny egg with that thing that is clearly gonna fall through. nice I'm so distracted by that little bit of cutlery he's using like it looks like it should be used like a fork but he's using it like a spoon and he's eating a runny egg. <laughs> I never, I never like that as like a villain trope or like a villain line. It's like I never ask for anything twice, but you are. You saying that is essentially asking again, so. Ha.
I wonder who it could be. Oh my god, it's acclaimed actor Woody Harrelson. I like the design of, uh, what's his name? Beckett's pistols as well. They're cool. Eamon? The only other person I, <laughs> I know called Eamon is Eamon Holmes. I do like this ending, actually. Like, it's pretty low-key. I love all the double and triple crossing that takes place. Why would she say that? Why wouldn't she just be like, oh, I'd forgive them? I don't know why I find that so funny. There's two tubes. I forgot about his swishy little blades. I really don't like them. Why couldn't he have just had a 
blaster. Han could have shot him there. Oh no! I feel like the character of Kira that we are told about is vastly more interesting than the Kira that we are shown. There goes the best character. <laughs> Jewels. So, in a minute, we're going to see Darth Maul. Sorry to ruin it for anyone that doesn't know. And that would have been... such a... Like, I would have had the same reaction to that that I, would, that I had to, like, the Vader hallway scene from Rogue One. Or, like, seeing Yoda in The Last Jedi. But I read... It must have been a... I don't even know. I mean, it must have been a Star Wars related video, obviously, but I saw a YouTube comment on whatever video this was before I saw this film, and um, yeah, it was just somebody saying, like, oh, more pops up at the end of Solo, and obviously I wrote off immediately. I was like, well, that's obviously not true, and then, but they said, like, oh, he, he's like a big crime boss. And then I started thinking about it more, and I was like, oh, that does kind of make sense. So then when he pops up at the end of the film, I was like, not that surprised. Um, which is a shame, because I would have loved to actually experience that. But I think as this was happening, I was like, oh, it's about to... We're about to see more. And I was like, yep, there he is. <laughs> But it's pretty cool that Sam Witwer voices him now. Um, 
like I mentioned in my Phantom Menace episode, he is very much the voice of Maul now. Like, and it's cool to have Ray Park back as well. Not sure how I feel about the use of Jewel of the Fates here. It does feel like a bit of a... Uh, almost. I don't want to say lazy. That's a bit mean. But I guess at the same time, yeah, kind of lazy way to be like, look, everyone is Darth Maul, just in case you... Do you remember? Like, um... But it's cool to see his Inquisitor lightsaber as well. Like, that's what he has in Rebels, and that's that's pretty cool. But, I mean, the inclusion of this scene, anyway, is something I... I do go back and forth on. And I remember when I did originally record my episode on this film, I was kind of on board with it. But in the weeks that have passed, I've kind of soured on it a bit. Because um, as much as I love Star Wars, I am first and foremost a film fan, and a fan of, you know, good story, and just narrative that makes sense, and I always think you should be aware of what... of what you're doing, and, like, who you're making films for and at the end of the day these are for a general audience they need to appeal to as many people as possible and i just don't think the inclusion of darth maul who to the vast majority of the population is a character that was chopped in half by ewan mcgregor 20 years ago um I don't remember how I started this sentence, but I don't think it's a very good idea <laughs> to just put him randomly at the end of this film for people to just be like, oh, it's Darth Maul. And, you know, I do appreciate it because it is wonderful for someone like me and probably you who is listening. Uh, you know, it's like, oh my God, that's Darth Maul. And it does make sense. But I just think you need to always keep the general audience in mind and, like, does it actually service this story? And does it alienate the audience? And I think it kind of does. I do like this moment that I've completely talked over as well. The fact that they kind of found a way to have Han shoot first and for it to not feel so... Like overt and fanservice-y. Now, I'm not going to lie, I did just do a cheeky little break, because <laughs> I had to go and do something. But there was a very cleverly hidden edit here, and it still all lines up perfectly, don't you worry. But I forget what I was talking about. But it's alright, we're nearly finished. It would be interesting to pick up with Kira at some point, just to see her and Darth Maul interact a little bit more. Like, that kind of story is ripe for a comic book. <laughs> or something like that. And that's the kind of place you can do that kind of stuff, but... Yeah. 
Or maybe even a Disney Plus show. Who knows? This could all tie back to the Lando series. I mean, I doubt it, and I'm not sure if I would maybe want to continue this story in, in that series in particular, but still, there's potential there at least. Maybe in about ten years. This little hand motion in a minute and face that Alden pulls when he says goodbye. That's very Han Solo. Like, it's those little things that I think Alden nails. Now, this whole epilogue scene here, I really think the film could have done without, or, like, it would have been fine without. It feels so tacked on, and I just don't even... I thought we were going to end the film with Han, like, not having the Falcon, and I was quite happy for it to uh, end that way. And also, it's this little interaction here, the way that Hand kind of does the fake out and, like, into the hug, that makes me think that this is the last time they see each other until Empire, because obviously that's the same thing that Lando does when uh, when they reunite in that film. But yeah, I thought we were going to end with Hand like, just not having the Falcon, and I thought that would have been fine, because we as an audience all know that he gets it at some point. And it's just this whole thing again of like doing everything that Han Solo has ever done in this one day.
I really don't like the way end on this shot of the dice. Like, they're not important. <laughs> But there we have it, another film done. And I gotta say, I was really down on this film when it first came out, but I just, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Like, it does go up in my estimation more and more. And that's not to say that it's by any means my favourite, or even close to being my favourite, because, you know, I do think it is quite middling. Like, it's a fairly generic, well, not I'm, I don't want to say generic, because I think it does do... It's certainly unlike any other Star Wars film, I think, but it it just is kind of bland and very unremarkable in in the way it is presented. But I don't think that means it's bad by any stretch either. I just, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to say? But yeah, you know, I do like it a lot more than I used to, and I'm not going to do a ranking this time round just because, like I said at the start, it's been ages since I've recorded one of these. I cannot for the life of me remember what my list was looking like. I also know, not to spoil it or anything, but in my next episode when I talk about The Rise of Skywalker, which obviously I have already recorded, there are a few changed positions. They do move around a little bit when I get to my ranking at the end of that one. So yeah, I just, it's all a blur at this point. <laughs> um, I can only really remember what my top few and bottom few were. Everything else in the middle is difficult to try and think of right now but for a more general kind of overview it uh, this film definitely does sit somewhere in the middle uh, for me um you know i i maybe like it a little bit more than whatever is in the middle of my list at the moment you know so it's kind of that level it's like middling to averagely good <laughs> if that makes any sense at all but yeah that's solo Next episode, as I just said, we'll be talking about episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, when we return to the Skywalker saga and the conclusion of the Skywalker saga, so that'll be interesting to look at. But for now, that's the second and final spin-off film, but emphasis on the for now, because of course now we have Rogue Squadron to look forward to. Yeah, that's about it from me. I hope you've enjoyed this audio commentary, and I hope it all syncs up and there's not too much of me breathing. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for listening. That was Solo, a Star Wars story released in 2018. It was directed by Ron Howard, and it was written by Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan, based of course on characters and on Star Wars by George Lucas. Thank you very much indeed again for listening. I'll see you next time, and goodbye.